0: Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with Dave Pahanish. Dave Pahanish grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania and played in coffee houses, bars, and stages while busking in western Pennsylvania. After trying to break through in both California and New York, he headed to Nashville in late 2006. With his body of work in hand, he was immediately signed by Three River Publishing. The signing paid off for them because Dave has written three number one country hits. His biggest and proudest hits have been as the father of four girls and one granddaughter. So I'm here with Dave Pahanish, and we're going to talk about the one that got away.
1: Yep, great song, in my opinion. You know, I love it. I should say,
0: I love it. People (laughs) love it. I I think
1: uh... there was a synergy to it from the uh, from the moment I wrote it before it was even finished. This is from 1996. This tune, and at that time I was hell and gone from Nashville. I hadn't even thought about moving to Nashville. I was just living in Pennsylvania, traveling around the region regionally doing colleges, coffee houses, whatever I could find. But this particular time I was in a some small town in the middle of nowhere. I can't remember where it was. It was about three hours before the gig started and uh, pulled into town. There was a diner in town with a big line around the corner. It turned out that everybody was just taking turns looking through the window at Richard Gere because he was in town filming a movie, just watching him have lunch. I don't know how that image stuck with me, but i kind of like, oh, okay. And I sat down next to these railroad tracks. I broke out my guitar, just like this, and didn't realize that the night before I had my high E string tuned down to a D, which is normally, it's in standard key, it's up to an E, but it was tuned down. I was doing some slide or something like that and I didn't put it back, so I started playing as if it wasn't, and uh, and it had like, oh, it's, hit a couple wrong notes that were like, why is it not doing what it usually is? And I found that became the whole, like, oh, that's cool. I had to write a song around that little, because it's hard to get that. When it's tuned to standard key, it's hard to find that so naturally. So and I just started spitting out words here and there. And before I knew it, it sounded like a song about someone that just kind of uh, hit the big time after living in a small town for a long time. And I had some experience with that. Uh, My my ex-wife, was married for 17 years, my ex-wife aspired to be an actress and came from a really small town, Western Pennsylvania. So all the ups and downs, all the uh, kind of the sense of being not humiliated, but always feeling like you were destined for something more, but no one quite, you were the only one that was believing it. So I I wrote this through the eyes of female perspective. And uh, back then, I really wasn't writing songs, thinking someone else would record them, or thinking that at that time I was just a singer-songwriter looking for a record deal, just playing stuff that, that I wrote, that I would do, like troubadour. And uh, but this one had a good uh, good something going on to, it, and I loved I loved the vibe of it so much, and I kind of had the first verse honed in, and a little bit of the second verse, and most of the chorus. But the melody was so intriguing to me that I decided to play it that night at this show anyways. I played a lot of songs and, and, you know, people were digging it. But at the end of the night, I
2: was like, oh, what was that one
1: song you played? That one. And most of the song was me mumbling, you know, just (laughs) trying to figure out. Because sometimes you, you get in front of a live audience and the energy is there. And when you're on the spot, the words just fall out. So I probably picked up a couple extra lyrics just from mumbling in front of people but the vibe was so cool that you know i could tell right off the bat it, was, it seemed to be a special song and this is like i said back in 1996 and probably every gig after that had played this tune i finished it and i was working on a record at that time with the guy that was producing my records and his name was joe west he's from pennsylvania and uh, we ended up years later moving to nashville together and kind of working as a collaborative team so a lot of the stuff I was writing, whether I wrote it alone or, or with him, he would produce it and, and be kind of the mirror for me. So what does this mean? And this could be better. But anyways, he was the producer on this one. And uh we ended up recording it for this uh for a record I did back in ninety six called Shine. So it's been one of my favorite songs. But uh so fast forward years later I moved to Nashville and start, you know, getting into the Nashville got a publishing deal. This is like thirteen years ago now. Part of my schedule A was this tune, and my publisher picked it out of the uh, out of the batch. And my publisher at, this, at that time were a guy named Cole started a new company with uh, Hillary Lindsay, if you know who that is. She's uh-huh. a famous songwriter, just renowned. And Dallas Davidson, but at that time they were they just had a few hits. Dallas hadn't had a hit at all. He was just you know, but they uh, he just honky tonk donk was his first big break. So he was seeing some money from that and he immediately invested into this publishing company and they signed me.
0: And Schedule A is what? For oh, i
1: sorry. Schedule A is uh, what you come in with. If you sign a publishing deal, you know, we'd like to have the stuff that you already have recorded and uh, the songs you've already written in case there's something there we want to pitch, you know. So I came in with about maybe 200 songs.
0: 200 songs so on your Schedule A. In this. this
1: was my first pub deal. Yeah, Had I, sure. Um, because, you know, I spent about, before I got to Nashville since, uh, I'd been writing since 1989, 1990, and, uh, but there were, as far as, um, there were a lot of songs that were, yeah, you know, I may have put them on a list or something, but they, they were really interested in the in the stuff that was already recorded, and, and uh, I had stuff, whether it was on me on a four track, or me playing acoustic guitar, and then. I'd put out about four albums before I moved to Nashville. So. so
0: everything that was on those four albums is on your Schedule A. Yeah. And out of all those songs, they picked this one. Well, or among, was among, one of, among, among others. This is one
1: of the many that, uh, but this one seemed to catch their eye. I remember Hillary, Hillary commenting on one of the lines and, you know, it was kind of a, I played it the night I got signed to this pub company. And, uh, and again, they pointed out that tune and uh, I guess I started seeing success after about the first first year I kind of learned the Nashville ropes doing uh how to do you know demo sessions or whatever and just what's expected of a pub deal and it was a great thing but uh I had I think the, the first hit that I had was a by a guy named Jimmy Wayne and uh he, re- he ended up recording about six tunes that I wrote me Joe West and a guy named Tim Johnson put this this other tune together and Jimmy recorded it we co-produced it and it it was like foot in the door. But after that happened, Jimmy put out another one. It was another single, another one of my tunes called I Will. I think then after that, it was uh, Without You, if I'm not mistaken. And then McGraw, uh, my publisher, gave Tim McGraw about six tunes of mine. I guess Tim McGraw took a liking to the stuff I was doing and said, all right, you he's going away for the weekend. He asked for about six or seven songs of mine that, that we thought that he would do. He ended up cutting two of them. One of them was a song called Right Back At You that was a single for him. And uh, it ended up dying, like, mid-30s or something like that for many reasons. But the other one was this song called The One That Got Away. So now to, to get to the recording part of it, which some interesting stories. Recorded it back in 97, and uh, the demo version of it, I call it a demo, but it was an album cut for me. It just it just had some mojo to it, and it was just a lot of, a lot of cool... Uh, you know, did the guitar to kind of a drum loop. My producer put in, left the click track in, going, <coughs> it just has a sound to it. And uh, I left him alone with the, uh, we cut the drums and the bass and uh, acoustic guitar and the vocal. And uh, came back a couple days later, he's like, oh, check this out. And he, he put in some backwards, uh, backwards guitars and some very interesting stuff, very creative stuff. And beyond the guitars, at the beginning of it, he put in some, he started mumbling words. And he flipped them around so it was backwards. So there's some back-masking lyrics. The stuff he was saying was stuff like, this is the section of the song we're going to, he was experimenting. We're going to flip around and make it backwards and and make it just sound cool in the song. And he's saying this literally, and then he just to see how it sounded, he flipped it around and sounded so cool for whatever reason. And then so when... When McGraw and the gang got the demo, they were recording the record. They, they called our producer, or they called my publisher and said that Tim McGraw's producer wants to know, they want it to sound exactly like the version you gave him. So they want to know what was being said and the back masking so they could flip it around so it sounds the exact same way. My publisher's the middleman on this. Uh, Joe, my, my producer, is talking to him saying, well, tell him that it, it says that I'm just saying this is the part of the song where we flip it around and so all that stuff I just said. So then Cole publisher goes back to them, tells them that they comes back again. He's like, well, they know it's the part of the song that it's flipped around where, but what are you actually saying? It's like, it took a while to get it straight. They could not understand that that was the actual, what we were saying it was it. Like, so as joke, I finally said, tell them that we quoted the Robert Frost poem where there were two paths in the wood i took the one less trodden and that made all the difference and once we gave him that response they were they took that i don't That's know great. that they actually <laughs> but you listen to his recording and, and if you ab it to the original one it's, it's pretty close but uh i think they wanted more substance than just this is the part of the song where it's going to sound cool because we flipped the lyrics backwards but robert frost will make anything better right <laughs>
0: So this is a very autobiographical song.
1: Not really about me, just uh, experiences I've had with from other people.
0: From sort of <clears throat> Western Pennsylvania, yeah, and West Virginia. I've heard you say it was in West Virginia, and I, I've heard you say your your ex wife came from a smaller uh, she town, kind of a small mining town in Western <laughs> and Pennsylvania. So you, I think you that... came from a small town, yeah. And yeah, the I town think... in West Virginia might have been a small town. Well, that, that the come... West Virginia
1: thing is, uh, I was playing a gig in. Uh, where was that? I think it was Wheeling, West Virginia. And, uh, and uh, the club was called j and a small club with a band I had. And, and next door was the hangout for all the high school kids. They were all hanging out at this pizza place. No one was ordering pizza. They were just all parked in their cars and just talking this and that. So that's kind of where I got the idea about the, the pizza hut parking lot. And,
0: and that kind of pizza place is, Sort of everywhere oh, in totally. the town yeah. your ex wife grew in, the town you grew up in, and, that, when and I was, Wheeling. And... I've
1: been to. I've went to a couple of high schools, and you know, I've, I never. I lived in a lot of small towns. Uh, growing up, I was in uh, Ohio. I lived for a while. I lived in New York, upstate New York. I lived in Jersey, and then in Pennsylvania. And but all the small towns are essentially the same, <laughs> at least out there. So I had a lot of uh, a lot of research, and, and so.
0: This is about coming from a small town?
1: Coming from a small town and someone goes away and uh, kind of gets famous or whatever and comes back to that small town and just, they're the one that got away. <laughs> Not that it's all about getting out of a small town, but if you're in a small town and there's a part of you that believes that you were destined for something more, it could can, it can be quite a drag to be, you know, dealing with the small town politics and all that stuff and playing in the same old bars and you know not not a lot of positive feedback but now it's like you know if you just accept it it's a, it's a great place to live a great place to grow up you know <laughs> sometimes you got to go out there and get the get the crown before you get, come back and realize what you had you know It was really good you know so then you leave the crown behind just put it on the on the shelf <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all I can think about for that uh, that tune. But McGraw recorded it. It was never a hit. It was, I wish it was. Hopefully uh, I could hear it on the radio. But it's a little bit different from the standard country songs that are out there. It breaks a lot of the uh, Nashville songwriting rules. I rhyme a word with the same word. You know, a little bit, I would say cryptic, but it seems like people get the message. It's universal enough that people kind of. But it's a good, uh, good feeling song, and I think there's a lot of people out there that connect with it. And uh, at least that's what it feels like when I play it. They don't connect with the words; they certainly connect with the melody. And uh, it's a, it's one of my most as a, as a songwriter. People that know me uh, usually know that or point out that tune is one of their favorites. So,
0: you want to play it? Or? Yes, I'd love to.
1: <laughs>
2: Got your face in your separate eyes. If you mother the baby locked on you, everybody wants a piece of you. It's alright. Now the phone is ringing, your cousin's singing at the local bar. And everybody wants to be a star, just like you are. You put your face in the gutter for years. Kept your eyes on the road. You felt you were meant for more Baby, now you know Cause everybody wants a glimpse of the one that got away Everybody wants to see you Everybody wants to be you too It's funny how they put you down but now they dig you own everybody loves you now, baby You're the one that got away You were raised in the town where the kids hang around At the Pizza Hut parking lot And everybody talks a lot no one likes to do no And all the coast Sky Theaters At the local theaters Said you couldn't sing a song with Will Told them all to go to hell You went out on your own You got a headshot Push you to Sell yourself to the world Take your scars up Under your dress. Like an American girl Everybody wants a glimpse of the one that got away Everybody wants to see you And all the girls wanna be you too It's funny how they put you down But now they pick you up your eyes on the road You felt you were meant for more Maybe don't you know oh, oh, that we've always known Everybody wants a glimpse of the one that got away And everybody wants to see you, yeah And they all want to be you It's funny how they put you down But now that they think you're all that Everybody wants you now That you're the one that got away Everybody wants a glimpse of the one that got away
0: That's it. <laughs> uh, so there's a line in there where you say, like an American girl. Yeah. And online American girl is often capitalized as if it's a reference to the Tom Petty song. Well, no, not really. No,
1: good. Uh, I, but I, I, I remember <laughs> thinking that when I wrote it, that, uh, that it also had some, uh, because of his, because of that song, it, it became kind of a, something people could kind of grasp onto a little bit more
0: in the aftermath after you wrote it yeah. you recognize the association. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I, that I girl just was think from Sarasota, uh, Florida. Yeah. And this girl is from Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, really? She, West could Virginia, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she could be from Ohio. Oh, she could be from anywhere. Yeah. I,
1: I was writing it more universally. It wasn't all, I, I put bits and pieces of my own experience and into, you know, things I'd seen and, uh, so it wasn't just specifically about one person. It was just a, I made it very universal, A composite. You know? But I think of some of the the stuff that that young ladies got to go out. I lived in Hollywood for a while, you know, all the soul sucking uh, sacrifices and you know demeaning things that sometimes people either do or don't put up with on their rise to you know to fame or to, for the sake of trying to make a living in the business. You know, it can, especially women. You know, <laughs> so I mean, guys too, but still, you know. Dave. Yeah.
0: We're going to talk about a song, Honey, Honey. Um, is this out yet?
1: It is not. It's not I just out. wrote It's like two months ago. So I just wrote it and uh, recorded a demo at my studio. It sounds really good. And uh, my wife's singing the lead part because it's supposed to be a female song. With, a, uh, with an underlying male part underneath. So,
0: so it's a duet. Kind of of a duet.
1: Kind of a duet, but more of a, uh, the song, it's called Honey Honey, came from a dream I had. And uh, through the years I've had I've had dreams of songs. And I, I usually wake up and my first reaction is, dang, I wish I'd written that. And then I think a little bit and I realize, I just dreamed that it. it's not out there yet. It's in my head. And i throw it down on paper, and they usually come pretty quickly. I was staying out in a cabin in Monteagle, Tennessee. And oddly enough, I hadn't uh, i just gotten out of a publishing deal with the 30 Tigers. And uh, I was taking the time to let songs fall out of the sky. I wasn't going to start reaching. You, know, you start trying to triple and quadruple your quota. You know, you're just... You're squeezing songs out, like oh, maybe this, maybe write a song about this today. And you, so I took advantage of the fact that I had no one waiting for songs, and just go back to the old days when inspiration would just hit me, and I'd hear a melody in the distance, and I'd I just let it fall into my lap. So my wife said you should take a notebook because I was standing at this uh, cabin at this this gig that I do in a place called the Smokehouse in Monteagle and they put you up in a cabin there, but she couldn't make it this time, so I was going alone. She's like, take your notebook, you never know. I'm like, I'm not looking for songs right now, just, you know, whatever, but I took the notebook all day enough. I go to sleep, and I have this dream, and uh, Lily May Rishi had a band called Gypsy way back when, but now she's a good friend of mine. She's an astounding singer-songwriter, fiddle player, multi-instrumentalist. Her whole family is, but she plays fiddle for Jack White and then after she played fiddle for for a while for him he heard her playing backstage just playing guitar and singing a tune he said he wanted to produce a record said so now she's on her second album which was recently produced by Dave Cobb she's starting to she's been on a lot of late night shows and doing very well touring with Robert Plant opening for him playing in Robert Plant's band and play every she's just music is is her soul, you know. That's that's her and her family is a very admirable quality. When you, when it when you meet somebody that is one hundred percent not about the money, the prestige is they're playing a, they're playing in a small bar, wherever they go, they're they are the music. They live the music, and they always have. But anyways, I had this dream Lily Mae was on the radio singing this song, and I woke up. Oh, wow, it's like. Did you hear Lily Mae's new single? I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I was a dream. I started writing it. it took about an hour to write. It came out very quickly. And, uh, and it's a song about, uh, about a girl that falls in love and a, uh, with somebody head over heels and she goes to sleep and wakes up in a panic one morning because he's gone. She thinks he's left her, the love of her life. And, uh, and she's starting to wonder where, where is he gone? And then, as the song progresses, the song itself is a dream about a dream. She's in that same uh, slumber. She's waking up. He kind of taps her on the shoulder at the end and says, "Hey, you know, wake up. I'm right here. I'm gonna be here forever." You know, it's a there's a nice happy ending to this uh, this story. So she goes through the whole gamut of you know panicking about losing someone and. Uh, and thinking, oh, there's no reason to panic. It was, you know, we're, we're so in love. It's never going to end. And, and then at the end, when she wakes up, then that's what I mean by the male voice plays a part of a shadow at the beginning. And then, you know, theoretically, the male voice gets louder and louder through the whole song until the end. It's like his voice is predominant in the mix saying, wake up, wake up, I'm right here. You know, it's like, it's kind of a neat song. It's a dance. It's a dream.
0: So when you're in a dreamlike state, this this unreal stuff can happen. This impossible stuff can happen. Sometimes nightmarish. Yeah. Uh, are there any elements of that in this song?
1: Uh, well, just the fact that she thinks he's gone. <laughs> so that that's that's really about it. You know, it's a very simple. I I sing it a lot now because I love the song so much. But it really is meant for a girl to sing. Like uh, I hear Lily May's voice. Lily Lily May has this pure. Mountainy Appalachian esque uh, type voice that uh, is kind of what I hear and uh, but uh, I send it to a publisher I'm working with Kelly King and she's like oh, I love this song I can hear I can hear Tim and Faith I can hear so many she mentioned a bunch of other uh, other artists female artists that uh or duets or whatever that she can hear doing the song so hopefully it gets in the right hands. Uh, i'm not one for pitching songs but i'm like how am i going to show this to lily may without you know saying you should record this song just to... so I, she's a great friend a great fiddle player she always says anytime you need fiddle on anything just let me know and I'm, i'll play so i sent her the, the track to add <laughs> add fiddle on smart move. Like, <laughs> little p.s <laughs> i dreamed you singing this song oddly enough because she said something like oh, i love this tune it sounds like a dream it's like and that's you know but whatever let nature take its course she's a prolific songwriter herself and it uh, certainly doesn't need a song but uh but she loves music i know that
0: do you want to play a song for us i'll play it for you
2: Calling your name aloud, loud. You was me last night. Turn out the light. But honey, where are you now? I've been looking so long for love. But so far, just feeling my way through the dark. But out of the blue. My eyes fell on you Through the dust of this smoky old bar You took my hand And asked me to dance You spun me around and around You kissed me so sweet Made me light on my feet Honey
0: first time i listened to it i it reminded me of hank williams yeah that time it almost reminded me of buddy holly so i'm getting like this classic sort of texas country
1: totally feeling yeah i hear that yeah little texas two-step is that what it's i call it could be a waltz it's like six eight time right yeah
0: it is a it It is a waltz
1: isn't it yeah Yeah. i i I picture i want to i'll send you the demo it's like i really played up the fiddle part's beautiful there's a nice dreamy mandolin that comes in drenched in verb and third uh bridge if you want to call it that comes in and you hear this almost like a carousel organ like you're on a merry-go-round you know i see them like the scene in gone with the wind where they're. They're waltzing around the room.
0: So is it more of an Ozark Mountain kind of sound, yeah. or is, is it more universal than I'm trying to place it It, it is somewhere.
1: universal, but uh, like the voice I hear in my head is uh, is I guess more of a kind of a Gillian Welch Appalachian. I'm taking days. it back to
0: Patsy Cline, maybe. Oh, maybe? I hear
1: that. It could be anything. It's a uh, open. It could be uh you know. There's a lot of singers that could sing this, and it, it would take on. Little bit of a different character, but uh it's a, it's cinematic. I see images. What I what like images it. do you see? Oh, waltzing in a neon lit saloon, you know, just dancing in the middle of a crowd with no one around. Just even though they're there, it's just the only people present are the two just head over heels in love, you know. That that type of thing. <laughs> Hopefully other people are saying that too, but that's that's what I've uh, with the recording and in my mind, that's it would make for a very nice video, that's for sure.
0: Did you play this for your wife?
1: Oh, yeah, we've uh, I'll I I've demoed it, and the first time I showed, she's like, That's really good, I love that. She loved it.
0: Did she and, cry?
1: Uh, I don't think she cried on this one. This isn't it's not a cry a, song, it's it's a story song, which I don't <laughs> do too many story songs, then but this is one, and I know I told you the story beforehand, but it's if you don't know the story of. It's one that you hopefully listen to the whole way through and there's a reveal at the end that uh, that it is a dream. And it sounds like a dream and just interesting, you know. It's a happy ending. It's a song. happy dream.
0: <laughs> you know, the yeah. happy dreams are the it's ones ha- you want to remember when you wake up.
1: And it's about someone dreaming about, you know, oh, this means so much to me, like... It's a nightmare to think that it would it could disappear, you know. There's no reason to think that it would because it's that good. But, man, one, and you don't want to dwell on that too long. But if you had a bad dream about, you know, the one you leave, love leaving, it's a very disturbing feeling. Or even, you know, whatever dream about the one that you love, being with somebody else is even worse. But <laughs> Arr, you wake up in jealous rage. This one's more of a... Uh, you know, my love is lost. it's yeah. gone. The he's sky missing. is it's falling down. Like everything that I had is, you know, you know, no longer there. But he is, forever.
0: <laughs> Next, Dave, we're gonna do without you.
1: Yes, song very dear to my heart, one hundred percent autobiographical, with the exception of uh, the fast cars line. That was more of a uh, what do they call it? Metaphorical. <laughs> But uh, you know, I don't collect fast cars. It's the idea of fast lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. You know, but this is very autobiographical. A lot went into this uh, this song. You know, like I told you earlier, I was married for seventeen years before I moved to Nashville. Got to Nashville, got a publishing deal, which was probably one of the first major things that happened after I'd been performing and writing songs for about almost twenty years and never thinking Nashville was a place. But I moved to Nashville, got the publishing deal, and things, you know, I started getting getting rolling, but still the feeling that, uh, boy, I hope something happens, you know. You know, the, having a steady paycheck to write songs was very nice, because before that I had to play just about every night, and just to make ends meet. But I then got divorced not long after that, which was kind of odd, but at the same time, it was a, it was a 17 years of spiraling downward marriage. And uh, we just didn't belong together and got married too young for whatever reason. So we're both much better off now. But uh, anyways, uh, 17 years, got divorced. And uh, it just it was starting to feel a little bit of like, man, I hope uh, my kids, two kids moved back to Pennsylvania. So I'm down here alone now and uh, still doing gigs a lot. I walk into this uh, to another bar. It's near the airport in uh, in Nashville. And uh, I immediately scan the room and I see this really good looking girl. I just caught the back of her. I didn't see her face yet. <laughs> I'm like, she's good looking. I could just feel it. I could see it. Then I, as I kept looking at her, I realized that somewhere during the time that I was captivated by her, she was looking at me as I was watching her. I was like, oh, got caught. And instead of her acting like, oh, what is he staring at? You know, negatively. She gave me this smile that just really, there was something about that smile. It was just an endearing. It's just like, is she was happy that I was looking at her? And then I find out later that she was also watching me before I realized it. The second I walked in, it's a little chemistry. But anyways, this is my first gig at this particular place, and I was relatively new in Nashville. I just auditioned there a week earlier. And uh, to, to get a gig, it was like a piano bar, like a dueling piano bar type thing. But I played guitar. I didn't. I played a little piano, but mainly guitar. And they're like, well, you know, we're kind of a piano place. Uh, we really like what you do. And uh, if, our, if our piano player calls in sick one day, which he's never done in the last 10 years, you know, maybe we'll give you a call or maybe we'll try it out on a different night. But regardless, I got kind of the run around, but they call me because he actually calls in sick this one night. And I come in. So uh, for this gig, there she is. So this was kind of my first time there. I wanted to do really well. I got up on stage behind the piano, set up my gear. And uh, these two young ladies walk up to me. I say, oh, we're flight attendants with Southwest. This is where we, we stay when we're in town. And one of our coworkers is a singer. We were wondering if maybe you could get her up on stage to sing a song or two. And I'm like, ah, this, you know, it's my first time playing here. And I don't, I don't want to break any rules or anything or do anything that they're going to be uh, upset at because I kind of want to continue to play here and maybe get my own night. But, uh, so maybe I'll come over with you guys and we'll work something out and I'll see how well she can sing and uh, get something professional together. And, and then I'll call her up in a little bit. So, uh, they're like, all right, I've set up, walk over to the table. And as we're walking to the table, I'm like, it's the girl. It's the girl who caught me looking at her. She was the flight attendant they were talking about. She had that same smile on her face. So I sit down, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shy by nature. I don't know if shy is the right word. A little bit inward and, uh, you know, we're just smiling at each other. She's a socialite. She could talk forever to just about anybody. So we sat down we're like, hi, how you doing? Yeah, that was funny. Caught me looking at you or <laughs> whatever, you know. I don't even think we paid any attention to that. But uh, we, you know, started going through a couple songs. We uh, like, like, oh, she's like, you know, any Bonnie Raitt. Or we did Angel from Montgomery and, and uh, I don't know what else. We ended up playing that. Oh, we did landslide, and uh, regardless of which, we we were friends and uh, we hit it off right away. Was
0: First like, time you heard her voice, what was your feeling? You're
1: oh, it was very cool. She's got a, uh, a sultry, very uh, raspy, uh, Bonnie Raitt-esque type. Stevie uh, Nicks, uh, not as much Stevie Nicks. Like I can see her couched, uh, you know, in a nice cocktail dress on a big on a piano, singing like sexy jazz music that's her thing she's got a great voice and uh fits her character too so we got up on stage we sang a few together and she told me later she was uh, before i got there she was thinking about leaving going back to her room and calling it an early night but she ended up staying until close and uh, sang all night and, uh, we talked later and that was the end of it she told me you know oh this is great you know i'm actually coming back here i don't live in i live in in Austin, Texas, that's where I wore this hat. You know? so
0: <laughs> did you get her number?
1: No, I didn't get her number. You didn't get her number. I didn't get her number. You're that
0: shy and <laughs> inward that you didn't <laughs> get her number.
1: Yeah, but I did get the idea that she was coming back. And I, If I tell the whole story, I, I was still, uh, my ex, my wife and I at that time were separated. We've been separated for a few months. And for, I think primarily for the kid's sake, we said, Let's just ease into, we're going to get a divorce. We were both relatively broke so as far as getting a lawyer and all that stuff. So we wanted to just take our time and and get the divorce. There was no reason to rush until that night. Then all of a sudden there was a reason to rush. But anyway, so. So you did
0: not kiss her goodbye.
1: I hugged her. It was a great hug. It felt good. But, uh, but she did know that I was still married at that point. I was actually wearing my wedding ring out of 17 years of habit. I just didn't, just didn't, it comes a party after that long, so. But anyways, we, uh, during the night, I took a break. and I was sitting with her, and her captain was there. And her captain had been drinking a good bit, and it, so he was being very vocal. And he's like, uh, yeah, there's something going on between you. I could feel it. There's just, uh, there's an energy there. And then one of the other flight attendants like, stop it. He's he's married. I, I didn't want her to think I was coming on to her, so I didn't tell her the whole story of like, you know, well, we're getting divorced and this and that. I didn't want it to sound like a come on or anything like that. But anyways, like, ah, it doesn't matter. There's there's more to the story. I could feel this. And he saw something coming. But anyways, that night, uh, we said goodbye. She told me I'm um, coming, coming back every Friday night. And, you know, this whole month I'm booked for Nashville flights. So I'm doing overnights in Nashville. So, you know, maybe I'll see you again. Maybe we'll sing together again if you're playing here. I'm like, I'm not, but I came back anyways. <laughs> I found her on MySpace through the information given Southwest Airlines. I knew her name, Kristen Lee. Beautiful. Bang, there she was. I sent her a message. Nice meeting you. Uh, you know, hope maybe we could sing together sometime. Uh, um, whatever. And she was very, uh, very curt with her response. So thank you. Sure. Yeah, great meeting you. That was it. Because it was, you know, of the information she had. So I come back the next week and uh, she knew I was coming. I come in, drinking my coffee. We're talking about halfway through the night. We're just chilling. And I said, by the way, there's something I, I left out last time. I didn't tell you that we're out. Well, my wife and I are actually getting a divorce. By this time, my wedding ring was gone. <laughs> we're getting a divorce. And uh, I told her a little bit more of the, st- the story. And she just let out this sigh of relief. Like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God. We danced. It was a beautiful night. And uh, we ended up staying together that night. We didn't, we didn't sleep together in the uh, biblical sense. But we slept together and, and uh, kind of both made it clear that we weren't ready for, a, you know, a sexual relationship <laughs> yet. You allowed to say that on the Internet? Just kidding. But anyways, it, it was uh, there was, you know, we spent the night just beautiful things, just talking all night. One of those nights. And uh, I do recall that evening on her, she put her computer up and she had a, a playlist going of all the songs that she was listening to. And I was just blown away that there was all this music out there that, that she was so connected with that I'd never heard before that, that moved me so much. Different world, comes from Texas, I'm from up north, but our connection to music was the same and it was like, it was like new beginnings all around. One song was this Eva Cassidy song came on in the middle of the night and the next morning, I woke up like, "What was that one song?" It was uh, I can't even remember the name of it now, but uh, if I had a golden thread, Whew, just blew my mind. But that was one of many songs. Just a magical evening that kept coming back. Came back the next week. By the next week, I'd already written a song to her and about her. I pronounced my love for her. Like, if this is the real you, if this is, you know, this is. I'm in love with this. I'm in love with you and. You know, we were, we were an item in no time. No time at all. About a month later, she's no longer staying on her time off in Austin. She's staying in, in Tennessee with me at the house I was at. We were like a Bonnie and Clyde. We just kind of felt like we owned the world. It was a really good feeling. That in-love feeling. It lasted a long time. It's still there. <laughs> but anyways, who knows? So six months later, it's like, all right, I want to get married to her. I knew this. and. uh She's an old-fashioned girl. I had to get permission. And she's a family girl. So not only did I have to get permission from her parents, I had to meet her, the rest of her family. And one of the people that was, was very, very close to her and still is, is, is her sister. Two years older than her, but uh, her sister lived in Belize, Central America. So in order to, you know, get permission from everybody, I had to meet her sister finally. And so we flew down to Belize, spent uh weekend there i met her sister and i remember the look her sister looked over her and with was a smile on her face and said i approve i was in So that's a good sign that's a good yeah. sign.
0: so uh you had to meet her parents first before you i, I had spent met her, the money to go to belize a few times oh,
1: for, for for a little while i was uh i was i was her friend her older friend in nashville i'm 11 years older than her and her uh, older
0: friend that she's living with
1: yeah, well, then she was pretty on her own, so her parents didn't know exactly where she was staying all the time, when. But finally, we came out with, with it all. I met him, and her dad and mom were super cool. Her dad's a big music fan. We we connected right away on the music front. Leon Russell, and whatever. He turned me on to Rocky Erickson. All these. Uh, he's been in the Texas music scene since the mid sixties and seeing a lot of people that, that I've always loved. And
0: so you felt obliged to ask for her in marriage. Yeah. You did that? How'd that go? Oh, I said
1: oh, those certainly it would be, you know, they were very, very happy yeah. with it. And, uh, met her sister, got the same things So, so fast forward down in Belize, I got all the, all the thumbs up. The only thing let, left to do is buy the ring and, and all that. And I should say that before I met her, before that night that I walked in to that, that bar, the only substantial thing that really happened was acquiring a publishing deal. But it really seemed like af- overnight, after I met her, everything just started like like things are turning around. That's when Jimmy Wayne called me in the middle of the night and said, uh, man, these, this album of yours, I had an album out that time I gave him. He's like, this is, I want to record this one, this one. They ended up picking like six tunes off this record that he was going to record. And it was fantastic. The first one he recorded was a song called Do You Believe Me Now? He didn't get permission from his record label. He came over and, and Joe and I were the song shop that we were. We, we produced it like it was ready to go on the radio. He took a disc of it, slid it under their Scott Bruschetta's door. Got a call from Bruschetta an hour later saying, Congratulations, Jimmy, this is your next single. And they pulled the single that they had ready to go out for them. And this song hit the charts and climbed with a bullet like it's in the song. So I met her all of a sudden, the world opens up. Songs are being recorded. I got a song on the charts. Everything's changing. So I, I got up the next morning after her sister approved of me early in the morning. And to me, the best songs come out through the inspiration, just uh, almost like I said about the other tune, just floating out of the air. I hear a melody, I figure it out. And the song, the mojo of the song is there before I even put the words in. Then the only task would be to just put put the words in. And I, I was rambling on about everything I'd known up to that point, about how much uh, how much success had started coming along ever since we have met, about the first night we met about the music and everything I do and how it, how little it seemed to mean without her and and how it was all coming together. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. Maybe I'll, I'll hone this in. I'll write this tune. And before I leave, I'll sit with the family and, and, and I'll say thank you. And like, I wrote the song for all you guys. It wasn't just about our relationship. It was about the whole family opening their arms to me. I only got a verse. And of course, and i was so happy with it i remember i was sitting up in the uh we stayed in these bungalows or these little they weren't cabins they were it was like an open air this place was in the middle of the jungle in belize run off of a generator very rustic but very cool so i started early in the morning and i'm like i got a really great song i just couldn't get it out of my head and i'd start talking to people wait a minute i just they got another line i'd run up Two hours later, I'd hear Kristen, Dave, hey, come down. We want to see you. We want to hang out. And I I was just drawn in. You know, I could not get away from the song. So. But I got as far as a verse and a chorus, and I'm like, what am I going to write next? And uh, that night, middle of the night, her sister uh, is pregnant, goes into labor. I'm like, oh my God, it was a big ordeal. We all, it, we're in Belize and these it takes an hour to get to where what they called the, the hospital was this clinic, was this guy's house. And, you know, we're driving there on these bumpy third world country roads. And this experience of going through this with the family, we go into this clinic and they, the, the doctor wakes up in the middle of the night and we're sleeping on the floor because there's not enough chairs. And the one guy that owns a resort, uh, Wakes up in the morning, there's a scorpion crawling next to you. How far
0: are the contractions apart when you arrive? Do you remember? Um, <laughs>
1: I don't remember that, but I, how, I do remember uh, us following them. Uh, once we got on roads where you could go at high speed, we were traveling at high speed. I was in the back of a pickup truck. Open air. Just, you know, I put my ear in through the window to hear what they're talking about on the phone. And I could hear Allison in the car in front of us screaming. Like, oh, you know, telling everybody to be quiet. You know, they're you okay? Are you okay? Shh. Just wanted peace and quiet. Allison's a real tough girl. She's awesome. That's Kristen's sister. So we get to the hospital, and she gives this natural birth to this beautiful little girl. And uh, it was just, uh, I felt kinship. You know, I felt welcomed in. Like, you know, going through something like that with the family, I felt one with everybody. And uh, so we got back next day. And I'm like, "There's my second verse." I Started honing that in, writing about this and that, put it together, and I got even more personal. Uh, this was this was my song. This wasn't a song for anybody else. I was just writing it to write it because it felt good. And so I I ran I rambled at the end. I remember the original version wasn't it wasn't just repeating the same course. It was it was different. I was talking about all the little things that. A, the dreams that we had like we were living in this uh, loft downtown in uh, in nashville so i talk about the downtown loft and this and that the house the dog all the things we talked about maybe all the maybe some days were in there so it's very super autobiographical that's where the expertise of joe west came in he's uh, like i said my collaborator at that time we got together and banking it off of him. We're like, oh, let's get let's get rid of this, this and and this. This is a little bit too, too much. Let's uh, we universalized it, but it kept the personal touch. I had some different ideas for you know because I didn't wasn't the fast car thing was an idea of mine, but I wasn't sure of that line. And uh, but regardless of which we we settled on it felt really good. We cut a, a version of me singing it, playing guitar, and then I did a banjo track, and it was like at that time we were recording out of RCA studio C Joe's publishers right next door. It was, it was a cool thing to be able to record a song. It's like, wow, we got something that's really cool. We got to run this over physically on CD to my publisher who's in the Sony building and show her. It's Kelly King. So we did this. She's like, Oh, I love this. This song it was like, we were happy with just guitar vocal, which, you know, nowadays, like, you know, a lot of songs could cut off guitar vocal, but, uh, most of the time it's a little bit more in depth. Fast forward, we put this on that uh, on a record that I that I'd put out that was uh it's called Nashvilleian. No, that was the first one. That was the one that Jimmy Wayne had. This one was just called Dave Pahanish. Mm-hmm. And it was all the stuff that since I'd moved to Nashville, all the cool songs that I'd done till then. So I was working as an artist, but at the same time, all the stuff that I was putting out we're wanting it to be available to other people to also record. So a friend of mine at that time was named Emily West and a great country singer, fantastic singer. She's had a lot of success herself. She was signed to, I think it was, was it RCA. And I'm, I'm not sure who Keith Urban is signed to, but she had my record and uh, she went to a label party. Someone actually snapped a picture of this and it's on the internet, but she, she and Keith Urban were friends. She walked up to him and she showed him my CD. So there's a picture of her with her finger out like this. And you can almost see his head nodding. Looking at the back of the CD, you see my picture on the front. Someone from a distance took a picture of this and she said, this song is you. This, this is your life. It's just strange. You gotta record this tune. So he, uh, he took the CD home. Next day, I guess he was out with Nicole Kidman. They were going to the grocery store or something. This is all stuff I'd heard. And actually, Keith Urban told me this. He said, we're on the way to the grocery store. And he flipped the CD and they listened to this tune. He's like, oh, that's really cool. But uh, he said the moment that when he knew he had the record it is when they were walking through the grocery store. He said, Nicole was singing it in the grocery store. And he's like, there's a connection. He told me, it's like, oh, it's like, the things that really get me about it is just how it seems like it's as if i had written it cuz he just had a little baby girl now i'm talking about my niece he's talking about his little baby girl not only in my case fast cars was the metaphor but for him he's like eh, i collect old i collect old vintage cars and and guitars it's it was his life totally perhaps even more than 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 mine on the literal sense uh, he's like i would like to record it and i was very pleased to say yes (laughs) so i guess about six months later he called again and he said i know i said i was going to record this i haven't gone to it yet but i want you to know that that i really am going to do it it's just taking a little while to get into the studio a couple months later did it it's the first single off the new album and straight to number one
0: so the first time you write an incredible love song that's inspired by someone like kristen yeah and you play it for her. What, what happens? How does she react?
1: She cries. <laughs> if it's good, if she doesn't cry, then I need to work on it
0: some more. You know. So what happened this time? Where was it in Belize or? Ah, uh, yeah, it? that
1: was the first time she heard it. You know, I made a, and given her some snippets, like uh, when I was first starting writing. I'm like, "Oh, listen to this! Isn't this really?" You know, she's 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 my other. Uh, She's my muse, my mirror, just like I said about Joe. It's like, you know, whenever I got a new one, you know, I I always even get a little nervous because I fall in love with the tune and it's like, what if it doesn't, what if people don't get it? You know, what if it's going to die? What if Kristen doesn't cry? (laughs) What if she doesn't cry? But if she does, I'm my next performance for whoever else, you know, I'm not as nervous. It's like, it's already passed the litmus test, you know. She cried on this. She cried on the first song I'd ever written for her, which was another, another love song. Like the second week that we were together, or third week. So that was good.
0: Do Do you want to play it for us? I would
1: be honored to play it.
2: Since the very first day, when I caught you looking my way, I saw you and I knew it. And up until you came along, no one ever heard. So Cause I'm part of you It's tough to figure